Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. It's good to be a mobile church, a homeless church. I think we're learning so much about who God is and how unrestricted he is in terms of boundaries. We can meet anywhere and meet as a family and glorify and worship the Lord together. And he's with us. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful time. I've had such an amazing, um, I've, I've just been blessed uh, just in studying for this series uh, the last uh, month or so. And uh, it's just been such a blessing. So, you know, originally, uh, just to give you a, just a real quick story, originally we were going to have our normal February Sunday morning services. And we were actually going to have a midweek service on a Wednesday in the other room and uh, talk about sex, love, and dating and spend three weeks on a Wednesday night uh, talking about it. And that was the original direction. Uh, but as we were kind of thinking through uh, the logistics of it all and thinking through even the power of it all, we realized this is something that I think is so valuable and so important that we want to take a chance to give this a Sunday morning opportunity. And I think you'll agree with me if you've been here, uh, it's been worth the Sunday morning opportunity uh, to take time to talk about uh, these issues. Um, and so we started with sex, and originally that was supposed to be a one-weeker, but sex is so good, amen. We had to take two weeks to talk about it, praise Jesus. And then we were going to talk about singleness for a week, and then we realized singleness is so good that we had to take two weeks to talk about it. And so this morning we are going to talk about marriage for one week, but we're realizing, and some of you married couples know, and if you don't know, then we're going to pray for you today. Um, marriage is so good. Um, we're going to take two weeks to talk about it. And so uh, here's what I want you to do. If you know somebody that we bless, if you know a married couple that just needs to be encouraged, invite them back next Sunday as we'll continue on talking about marriage. And if you're not married, don't turn me off uh, because you had your chance the last couple of weeks. Uh, but you will be married at some point or you may be single. God has called you to be single. or You may be single for the rest of your life, which is still a powerful thing. But you will always be married forever to the king of kings. And so whether you know it or not, singles, you're married. And that's part of the problem is that you don't know you're married right now. And so sometimes, but the beautiful thing is you're married. And so this morning, um, we're going to touch base on this. And I, I guarantee you, whether you're married or you're single, um, you will be blessed. Um, I know that for sure. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, and we're going to only read two verses uh, this morning, 30 through 31. Then we're going to kind of jump around a little bit. And today is going to kind of be an overview so we won't go too deep in the scripture per se. Next week we'll go a little bit deeper, but today we're just going to kind of survey uh, some scriptures and give you kind of a big picture, a big wide lens view of marriage. Amen? So Ephesians chapter 5, uh, 30 through 31, it reads like this. We are members of his body. Here's referring to Christ. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become, what? One flesh. And then Paul goes on to say, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so let's pause right there for a moment because a lot is being said. 
Paul uses two illustrations to define what I'm calling the mystery of marriage. And so this morning we're going to talk about the mystery of marriage. Next week we're going to talk about the practicalities of marriage. And you put them together and I believe there's a beautiful picture of marriage. And so Paul uses two illustrations to define the mystery of the marriage. Now let me explain to you the first illustration. And again, we're jumping right into this scripture. And so I'm going to have to give you a little context. But the first illustration is this. Illustration number one refers to the closeness and connectivity of the body to its parts. Jesus says we are all members of his body. Well, Paul wants us to consider our arms. He wants us to consider our legs. Though they're individual pieces of the body or they're individual parts of the body, they both make up the body. In fact, the only way to separate these pieces would to be literally amputate them. And so Paul gives you the illustration of a body and its parts. Secondly, second illustration, in the same, uh, same way, illustration number two, uh, refers to the closeness and connectivity of a husband to his wife. Paul tells us in marriage, a man detaches from one family unit, and then he attaches to his new family unit, which is his wife. Can I get an Amen. I could just preach a little bit right there. You know, sometimes it's hard to detach from something that you belong to your whole life. But when you marry, God says there's a detachment that's being taken place. You're leaving mom and dad behind, and now you're forming a new family unit. And the family member said, no, 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 wait a minute. We want to hold on to our son. We want to hold on to our daughter. Mama and daddy, I want to tell you today, if your daughter or your, or your son is getting married, according to the definition of Scripture, you need to let go. You need to let go. And so what scripture tells us is that uh, the, the husband will leave father and mother and will cling to or hold fast to his wife. So here's what Paul is saying in this illustration. When you said, I do, your spouse became to you what your arms and legs are to your body. Your spouse becomes to you what your arms and your legs are to your body. When you understand the biblical significance of marriage, you realize that divorce then becomes a kind of self-mutilation. It becomes a kind of mutilation, a self-mutilation. Divorce becomes, uh, when you divorce from your spouse, um, it should only be an option as much as it is an option for you to amputate your arms. The problem with our culture is that we've made divorce optional and convenient. But according to scripture, according to what, how Christ views the marriage, the closeness of a marital relationship should be like your arms and your legs are. Now, can I just say something for my divorced people in this room? Because no doubt that Christ is a redeemer. He redeems negative stories, and he takes negative stories and turns them into positive stories. And so I want you, I want you to know, because I'm speaking in harsh terms, but I want you to hear the gospel in this. There are moments and times where amputation is necessary. There are moments and times where the poison, where uh, gangrene sets in, do you understand what I'm saying? Where you cannot do anything else but force to amputate the arm or amputate the leg because if you keep it on, you will die. 
And so amputation at some level is necessary in scripture, but if you are a Christian couple in this room, you are bought by the blood of Jesus, you are redeemed, then amputation should be just as much as an an option as if you were to amputate your healthy arm. We just don't do that in the kingdom. Are you with me? Now, both these illustrations help to explain what Paul calls the mystery of marriage. Paul wants us to see that if you put both illustrations together, you have an understanding on how Christ views his closeness and connectivity to the church. If you put both these illustrations together, you have an idea of how Christ sees and how Christ views his closeness and connectivity to the church. Just like an arm and a leg is attached to the body, and just like a husband and a wife become one flesh, so Christ sees his connectivity to the church. Now, I want to take a little theological detour, if you don't mind, and a lot of times I always say for the nerds in the house, because I'm definitely a nerd, I like to take a little deeper of a dip Um, and uh, I appreciate that. And so I want to kind of do that today, and I want to kind of hit you with this phrase. Are you ready? In Scripture, eschatology illuminates protology. In Scripture, eschatology illuminates protology. Eschatology means the end. Protology means the beginning. So what am I saying? In the Bible, the end illuminates the beginning. Hindsight is important in Scripture. Whenever we come across the Greek word in the New Testament, musterion, say musterion with me. There you go, you sound sweet. Musterion means mystery. Whenever you see musterion in the New Testament, you can be sure of two things. Are you ready? Number one, the mystery is hidden in plain sight. Number two, it takes the gospel to reveal the mystery. Two things, whenever you see mysterion in the New Testament, two things you'll know about it. The mystery is hidden in plain sight, and it takes the gospel to reveal it. Now, I want you to see this. Marriage has always existed. Marriage has existed since the beginning. But we've only known it in part because God has kept its ultimate meaning hidden. Are you with me? Now, this makes it impossible for us to completely understand it until, and this is, it's impossible for us to completely understand the ultimate meaning of marriage until the gospel completely reveals it. So we can't understand it until the gospel completely reveals it. Are you with me? Now, only after we've experienced the beauty of the cross, the beauty of the Savior, could we fully understand the beauty of marriage. I'm going to say that again. Until we understand the beauty of the Savior and the beauty of the gospel, we'll never fully grasp the beauty of marriage. And I just want to kind of point something out. This is not just true theologically. This is not just true theoretically, but it's also true in actuality. Can I explain? A marriage will not reach its glorious potential unless unless both husband and wife have put Christ and his gospel in the center. A marriage will not reach its glorious potential unless both the husband and wife have put Christ and his gospel at its center. In my limited experience, bear with me now, 
four years of marriage. And I know many of you are beyond that in my limited experience. But also in counseling married couples as a pastor. So my experience both in my own marriage and in others, when both husband and wife love Jesus and understand the gospel, they communicate differently. When both husband and wife love Christ and understand the gospel, they celebrate differently. When both husband and wife understand and make Christ the center of their marriage and they know the gospel, they conflict differently. You see, when I know the gospel, I know forgiveness. When I know the gospel, I know humility because Christ humbled himself. When I know the gospel, I know what leadership is. I know what submission is. And I sneer at neither because I understand the purpose and beauty of both. When I know the gospel, I know what it means to lay down my rights even when I think I'm right. When I know the gospel, I know the most important thing about my marriage is not being right, but being one. And sometimes the goal isn't to win an argument, but to come to a place where you both understand where each other are coming from. Can I just tell you, when you get married, and most of you know, you are bringing the baggage of your past. They are bringing the baggage of their past, and you're both bringing them together. And so the way one family, the way one person grew up and understood how families fight is different than the way the other person grew up and understood how families fight. Right, babe? <laughs> and so my family is loud. Amen, mama. Amen. <laughs> and we are talkative and we over-communicate at times. Maybe not my father. Many of you know my dad and you think, well, your dad's kind of quiet. No, you get him talking, he can talk. He has a lot to say. Trust me. And so my sisters and myself, my siblings, when we get together, we all argue and debate in a loud, passionate way, but we still love each other. My wife is an only child. God bless her. And her mama raised her. God bless her. And so the way that she dealt with conflict and the way that she experienced family was different than the way that I did. And so when we came together, it was something that the gospel had to teach us to do. And you know what the thing is, is that we want to make how we normally do things the way that we do things in our marriage. And she wants to do the same. And as long as a couple comes into their marriage thinking that they're going to try to win over each other according to their way of communicating, they're always going to be in disagreeing. But here's the win. Here's, here's what it, when the gospel comes in the middle of that bad boy. It doesn't matter how I was raised, and it doesn't matter how she was raised. It's how Christ is raising us now as a couple. Are you with me? Amen? So when a couple understands the gospel, when a couple knows Christ and puts him at the center, they communicate differently, they celebrate differently, and they also conflict differently. Now, can I throw a curveball at you? Okay. In the same manner... A marriage will not reach its glorious potential unless both the husband and wife honor and reverence the church. Because Paul says, here is this mystery. Marriage is a reflection of Christ and the what? And the church. And so not only must you be single-minded on how you view Jesus, but you also must be single-minded in how you view the church. If the marriage is going to be built on solid ground, the marriage must have a healthy love for Christ and his bride. And you've probably heard this a lot, 
and it may sound cliche, but it's so true, we do not have the authority to put down another man's bride. We don't. And so in the same way that we would protect the honor of our wives if some joker came up and started to talk about them, in the same way, I feel like despite the ugliness of the bride sometimes, amen, get the bride get a little ugly sometimes, right? I mean, we're talking about us, okay, the church. I'm not talking about real brides over here, okay? But, hey, the bride can get ugly, right? Just dirty, just down. And the bride could even just, really, there are some times where the bride can be, you are a misrepresentation of what the church is supposed to be. I get that. But here's what I'm trying to say. Just because maybe one church in one area, in one place, has maybe put a fence over your life, that's not the necessarily the beauty of the bride. The universal picture of the church, those that have come before us and those that will come after us, those millions and millions of every time, t- a tribe, tongue, and nation that will be worshiping Jesus in that end day, that will be the bride of Christ. You must have a healthy love for Jesus, but you also must be careful to guard your love for the church. If you were to understand the beauty of marriage, you with me now this morning, I've I've been praying the last week and I've been just kind of God, what do you want me to pray for over the congregation this morning? What, What is it that you want me? What is it that you want to give them this morning? And really, it's just kind of three things I want to pray over you. And then we're going to jump into this message and 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 launch in deeper. But three things that I want to pray over you this morning. Number one, I pray that the gospel will become more glorious in your eyes this morning. I pray that everyone sitting in this room may walk out of here and think of the gospel in a more glorious way. Number two, I pray that marriage will become more valued in your minds this morning. And whatever you think about marriage right now, when you leave this place, not only will the gospel become more glorious, but would marriage become more beautiful. And finally, number three, along with my prophecy a couple of weeks ago that I prophesied we'd be a boo-producing church, amen, and I know. No. Amen. No, no amens. Amen. Come on, guys. Come on. Come on, singles. Work with me a little bit. I know you don't want to sound weird, but I pray that you would find your mate like you would find your spouse in the house of God. Amen. Jeez Louise, I pray that. Maybe you may not be. I'll fast for you. Um, But in the same way, not only that, I feel like we would produce uh, lovely marriages for the kingdom, but I also pray that the marriages that do exist would be healthy. And that your marriage would be so healthy, and again, not perfect, but that it would be honoring to the Lord. That the world will look at your marriage and see the gospel. That the world will look at your marriage. And I told you singles a couple of weeks ago, let your singleness be the loudest message of the gospel you preach to, your, to the world. Married couples, let your marriage be one of the loudest messages you preach of the gospel to the world. Amen. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We respect what you're doing in this house this morning. We respect what you're communicating to us about relationships, about singleness, and about sex. And for the next two weeks, we open up our hearts and our minds to the glory of the gospel, the beauty of marriage. And may this church, may Inspire Church produce healthy singles and healthy couples. For your honor, your glory, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This morning is going to be really simple. It's a simple overview. There's going to be three sections that I want to communicate to you this morning. We're going to talk about the mystery of marriage, and we're going to cover it in three ways. The first section is this. In the beginning, marriage, 
The next section is going to be in the end, marriage. And then finally, I'm going to end this morning by preaching to you what I'm calling the marital gospel. Amen. And so let's talk about in the beginning marriage. If you have your Bibles, and we'll actually have it up here. You don't necessarily have to go there. Turn to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And we're really going to just survey it. So we'll, like I said, we'll have it up for you. But in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's the first book of the Bible, the first page, the very first couple of words. It reads like this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning marriage. Ready? The Bible begins with a cosmic story. If you know anything about Genesis, it opens up with a bang. It says this, in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. Now, I want you to just take a step back for a moment. And I want you to think about this scene. With just the words of his mouth, with just his words, out of nothing, brilliant beams of light flash onto the scene. Lands and waters, every kind of plants and vegetation with seed, Pops and springs into life. Animals begin to appear as God creates the animals. And finally, at the end of all of this, God creates what I call the crown jewel of all creation. Male and female. And we're told in verse 27, in his image, he created them both male and female. Now, after reading chapter 1. I can't help, the reader can't help but think, what is this glorious God going to do next? What's the sequel to this cosmic story? Well, the answer may surprise some of you, but God follows up the cosmic story with a love story. And it's really amazing because this love story, we go from the heavens and the earth to a husband and a wife. Now, I'm sure at this point, some of you ladies are leaning in and you might be thinking to yourself, wow, that's so romantic. God is so romantic. And some of the guys are like, well, let's just skip to Genesis 4. Let's get to Cain and Abel. I just want to see somebody die. We're good. I can skip over that part. Amen. Like if you're in action, some of you guys may like the love scene, whatever. I understand. But here's what, no matter what your preference is in movies and genres, whatever the case may be, here's what I want you to know. Here's the truth. We can't deny as humanity the prominence God gives to marriage in the creation story. So in Genesis 2, we read that God puts Adam into a deep sleep. Y'all remember that? Adam goes into a real deep sleep, and then God kind of does a little bit of surgical removal on him, and God removes a rib. And then all of a sudden, Adam wakes up, and he goes from a deep sleep and a rib removal to all of a sudden, he sees a bride. Now, can you imagine men of God in this building? You have just got done naming all kinds of animals. And you are just looking at all these animals, and they look awesome, and God's done a great job. But you're realizing, man, there's really nothing for me. Ain't nothing kind of look like me. I got this loneliness coming. And so God's like, I got you, bro. Go to sleep. <laughs> so Adam goes to sleep. Man, he just kind of goes in, grabs that rib. And can you imagine when Adam woke up? Can you imagine that? And can you imagine he woke up and he saw her and he was like, wow, that's so wow. Is that mine? <laughs> Is that for me, God? <laughs> right? You guys are a tough crowd this morning. I'm sweating up here. Do me a favor. Help me out. And so we're told that Adam was so overwhelmed by what God had done 
We're told that when he wakes up, he sings history's first song. He writes history's first poem. If you understand the way that this is constructed in Hebrew, you understand that in Genesis chapter 2, when Adam wakes up and sees his wife, he recites a song to her. He, I had a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, say, man, this is history's first Jodeci right here. And if you don't know who Jodeci is, you're either too old or too young. But I know. Forever, my lady. All right, here we go. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Adam says in a poetic song, Adam's a singer. He's just like, whoo. He says this. This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he says it in a way that says, man, you're, you're from me. You're of me, but you ain't like me. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're from me, and, and, and you don't look like the animals, but you ain't exactly like me. Like, you're a little different. You're a little, however you like it, you're a little different. There's some different things, you know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Jesus. Just stretch your hands for him. Pray for your pastor right now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And then if you continue to read the story, you see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the designer defines the design. And that's the problem with man. We try to redefine what creator already defined. The definer defines the design. And this is how he defines marriage. He says this. Therefore, does it sound familiar? A man shall leave his father and mother. And he'll hold fast to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. You can't get offended at the church. You have to get offended at God if you have a problem with that. God in the beginning defines the design. And he says, one man, one woman, one flesh. That's what he says. And I want you to see this. In chapter 1, creation was created for man. Man wasn't created for creation. Y'all know that? Like, thank God Adam wasn't put in, like, verse 1 or verse, right? There'd be no air to breathe, no water to drink, no food to eat, no vegetation for him, right? And so what God does is he designs an environment. Y'all might think, why did he do it? Well, he did it for us. He divided, he, 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 um, he created an environment suitable and sustainable for you to live in, and he did it with his word. And then he, plates, he places Adam and Eve in this environment. This cosmic scene was created for this love story. This scene was created for this marriage. Can I put it this way? Any of y'all ever got married? And y'all know some of you getting married, it costs some money. Right? I mean, marriage costs some money. And then you're paying extra because you're trying to invite everybody and not offend everybody. Right? So let me, can I just do a favor for all the couples that are getting married? We have a few. If you don't get invited, don't be offended. Just look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of Christ. Y'all, you heard what I'm saying? Like, you know, I'm a little offended by this, but you know what? At the end, this doesn't make me who I am, God. You know what I'm saying? And I'm still going to celebrate them, and I'm going to still hashtag them. Well, maybe I won't do that because I'm not really, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, yo, it's tough to plan a wedding. It costs money. Like, if you don't get on the list, it's okay. We'll have a little side party. Because we got a couple of couples getting married, so I'm trying to do y'all a favor. Anyway, there's about three or four of y'all, and no, I just know this because I did it, amen? But have you ever, maybe you yourself been in a situation where you're getting married, and it just costs so much money, and you just fear you can't afford the honeymoon, right? The guys are like, the wedding's for you, baby, honeymoon's for me, right? 
but, you know, you're trying to spend all this money on this one day. And you're like, you know, we want to go on our honeymoon. I know maybe there's some of you that maybe didn't have a honeymoon. And that's okay. Later on you experience one. Or God has still done great things. You don't necessarily need a honeymoon. But, you know, some of you might feel that want, that desire. Can I just pick the picture like this? The Garden of Eden wasn't just the scene of a destination wedding. But it was literally a father giving a honeymoon gift to this couple. Are you with me? The Garden of Eden wasn't just the destination wedding, but it was literally the father gifting to this couple a honeymoon. Now, now that we've got this kind of picture of the beginning, let's skip to the end. Amen? Now, turn with me to Revelation 21. Turn with me to Revelation 21. I want you guys to remember... The end illuminates the what? The beginning. Eschatology illuminates protology. Together, the end illuminates the? The end illuminates the? Thank you. And so Revelation 21, in the end, so we just did in the beginning marriage. Now it's in the end marriage. Revelation 21, and we're going to read verse 1 together. And this is the apostle John, the revelator. Revelation just simply means the apocalypse. The apocalypse is nothing freaky or scary. It just means a revealing of things to come. There's a revealing taking place. Amen. Uh, Revelation 21 verse 1 reads like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now according to John's vision, history will culminate the same way it began. What a new creation. Isn't that interesting? All things will be made new in the end. So what God did in Genesis 1 is currently stuck in bondage and decay of sin. Did you know that? Did you know that what God has created in Genesis 1 is currently stuck in sin? And because sin has entered into the picture, all of creation is suffering. In fact, animals are becoming extinct. Are you with me? The Bible tells us in Romans that the creation yearns and groans and waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation itself is angry because sin is killing it. And it yearns and groans and it can't wait for the Messiah to return because it knows when the Messiah returns, all things will be made new. So what God does in Genesis 1 is now stuck in the bondage and decay of sin. So we go to Revelation 21, and we go to a new creation story in which a new cosmic order arises. And I love this new order because it's one that's free from sin's infection. And it becomes a place where suffering and disease does not exist. Y'all with me? Y'all watch Black Panther? Anybody go out and watch that Black Panther movie? Right? I, I, I'm going to go off on a little side tangent. I got a little time. Uh, I, I'm going to come back on. But you know what the beauty of this movie captures for an entire generation? There's so many things that this, I watched this movie for the first five minutes. I was kind of like, mm, and then I was like, you know, watch it, watch it. I was like, wow, this is brilliant. There's so many things in here that I'm like just, my mind's going crazy. But can I tell you something about Black Panther? For those of you that watch it, for those of you who don't, gosh, I feel bad. I'm a well, no, I don't think this is going to mess you up too bad. Um, but in the movie, 
Black Panther is from a nation in Africa, um, and that nation is called what? Wakanda, right? Wakanda forever, yeah? And I know I can't do that. Okay? That's not mine. Wakanda's not mine. Right? Y'all get it later. But here's what I'm trying to say about Wakanda. Wakanda captures the desire for a place that's greater than we're at. It captures a place that's far ahead of its time. It captures a place where the oppression, it captures a place where the injustice of earth is not taking place. For, a, a, for an entire group, for the African-American community, when they see it, it, it's not a comic book, y'all. This ain't just a comic book movie. This is a movie about the reality of an, being in an oppressed place, but looking towards a place that has overcome that, where we go and where we are placed at our rightful place of honor. And what the Black Panther represents, and again, I'm not sure they wrote it in this way, but he's a messiah. He's a king. He keeps that place safe. He keeps the place secure. Now, there's more to the movie, and I don't want to go too deep because you can play it out in different ways. But as I was watching the other day, Jimmy Fallon, it's amazing. Jimmy Fallon did this kind of cool little, um, this cool little uh, uh, blurb or this clip, and there were people that were talking into a camera, and they were told that the message that they're sending is going to go straight to the gentleman who played the Black Panther. And so they were up there and saying, thank you so much for this. You know, and there was, a, there was a, a, an African-American woman with her son, and she said, you know what, I'm glad that my son could go to a movie and look at the hero and not have to wear and see somebody. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, like, white people don't hijack this thing. You know what I mean? Like, let, let that happen, you know. And some people are coming out, and, and, you know, people are doing their hair, like, kind of with kind of different things like that, and we're kind of like, what's going on? Well, y'all try to look like a Jedi, right? You know what I mean? Like... You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's weird. They got to be doing all that. Well, no, fool, you try to look like a Jedi. It wasn't even Halloween. Your kid got a little braid. Okay. But, but can I say what's happening? As, as they're kind of expressing to the camera the beauty of this, Jimmy Fallon has the actual Black Panther, the actor, come out and surprise them. And he sneaks out, pokes their head, and they're like, oh, my gosh. Right? They give him the Wakanda sign. They bow, right? This one woman, as he came out, said, my king, my king. And here's what I want to point out. The longing and the desire for heaven and the longing and the desire for a Messiah that's going to bring that place wasn't just caught in this movie, but something as Christians that we all have. It's a true story. And when we see Jesus on that day, we are going to see our king. We're going to bow before him and say, my king. Is it time to go to that place where oppression doesn't exist? Is it time to go to that place where injustice doesn't exist? Is it time? And, it, and I love it because in heaven it says every tribe, what? Tongue and nation. The Bible doesn't erase your nationality. See, a lot of Christians are like, we got to be colorblind. No, we don't got to be colorblind. We just got to realize we're all made in the image of God. When we're in heaven, everybody's going to be all colorful. You got to enjoy it now. And if you can't do it now, then you're going to have a problem later. Are you with me? This is the beauty of Revelation 21, a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. Now look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this. So we're skipping down. So verse 1 says a new heaven and a new earth. The old has passed away. God's recreating something new. Verse 9 says this. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues. Now you weirdos, you love that part, but please, we're not going there, okay? Yeah, tell me more about the plagues, Pastor Phil. We'll go to another place. 
There's a few of us that always have this talk, so please don't take offense to it. It's just kind of a joke. It's kind of an ongoing joke, right? We talk about quasars, and I'm not going to name names, but <laughs> dinosaurs, right? <laughs> you guys know. You love me. The small group that we have this joke in, you know me. Okay. Since then came one of the seven angels, and I know you can't help but be like, whoa, with the seven bowls full of seven plagues. We'll get to that another time, but can you hear this next part? That, that angel spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride. I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now, I want you to see the connection. <clears throat> Scripture begins with a creation story, and it ends with a new creation story. Scripture begins with a love story and ends with a love story. Scripture begins with a marriage, and it ends with a marriage. Marriage bookends everything in Scripture. It's in Genesis, and it's in Revelation. And in fact, if you read Revelation 19, the church is described as a lamb's bride. The bride is the church. And guess what? There's going to be a wedding banquet at the end. And there's going to be all kinds of You know who's going to be invited? The members of the bride are going to get the invitation. And this will be one wedding that you don't want to miss. You want this invitation. Y'all hear me? It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, as Christians, we can't take marriage lightly, even if the rest of the world does. Marriage, our marriages matter. And in many ways, it carries more significance than you have ever understood or imagined. Here's a beautiful truth. When God designed marriage, he had the gospel in mind. Y'all see that? When God designed marriage, he had the gospel in mind. It wasn't like he created, the, he created marriage and he said, oh, that kind of looks like the gospel. That's kind of cool. Or it wasn't like he created marriage first and then said, okay, I'm going to make the gospel now. God had always had the gospel in mind. And so, therefore, when he created marriage, he said, I'm going to make it look like the gospel. Are you with me? And so this morning, I'm going to conclude by preaching to you what I call the marital gospel. And I'm going to go through it quickly. And then next week we're going to go through it practically. So please bring somebody back next week. But I want to preach to you the marriage gospel, the marital gospel. Now we've already went over in Genesis 1, the Bible begins with a what? Marriage. In Revelation 21, the Bible ends with a? Did you know that Jesus begins his public ministry with a? Marriage. In John chapter 2, the first miracle he ever performed, his coming out party was at a marriage. It was at a reception. It was at a wedding. And y'all know the story. He turns water into wine. Now, this isn't a coincidence. Nothing Jesus does is there's a, it's a sign. It's a witness to something greater. Let me tell you, Jesus is the groom that keeps the party going. Hey. Now, alcoholics, you need, to, you need to, don't get all excited. We need to pray over you, okay? Remember, drunkenness is a sin. There's no way you can, you, well, gee, no, drunkenness is a sin. But I want you to know, Jesus came into a wedding, and he chooses to do his first miracle by turning water into wine. Jesus is the groom that keeps the party going. The party don't stop. Y'all with me? In the Old Testament, wine was symbolic of joy. 
Don't let this be offensive to you. In the Old Testament, it was symbolic of God's blessing, joy. And now that the true groom has come, now that the true groom has revealed himself, the guests at the reception will never run out of joy. What Christ is doing is purposefully prophetic and purposefully eschatological. This is the end in the beginning. He's beginning his ministry with a miracle at a wedding. And in the end, his ministry will culminate with the beauty of a wedding. Are you with me? Now look, two chapters later, in John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a woman at the well. He encounters a woman at the well. You guys remember this story? And did you know that this woman, she had marital problems? Can I have some of the brothers help me, help me out a little bit here? Just if we could bring this down here. Did you know that in John chapter 4, two chapters later, Jesus encounters a woman at a well, and this woman has relational issues. You know what? Scratch that. She has marriage problems. Because as Jesus begins to talk to her, he perceives through, obviously, he's God and he knows all things. He knows that she has had five husbands and that the man that she's currently shacking up with is not, she's not married to. And she's there and she's at the well and Jesus is there too. And he ultimately speaks to a relational dysfunction in her life. And what he's ultimately saying is, and this isn't sexual, so please stay with me on this. I'm the one that you've been looking for. He offers her a water that will, that will quench her thirst and it will allow her to never be what? Thirsty again. She's the original thirsty girl. What he's saying is the satisfaction, please hear me out, the satisfaction that you've been trying to find and you haven't found in a relationship with a man can only be found in a relationship with the Messiah, the Savior. I have something that's otherworldly, and if you drink of it, because she, she says, well, what kind of water do you have? I have a kind of water that you don't understand, and you'll drink it, and you'll never thirst again. Are you with me? Now, if you look at this encounter, and there's a couple of interesting things, and I don't want to go too deep here, but Jesus is alone with a woman. There's kind of some at a well, and if you understand kind of the cultural significance of this, this isn't a good look. You understand that? But if you remember about a woman and a well, and if you think back to the book of Genesis, you realize that one of the forefathers, Abraham, sent his steward or sent his, one of his stewards to go search for a woman who would be a wife for his son, and he meets her at a well. You with me? And you fast forward here, and you're beginning to see something kind of incredible you're looking at this encounter through the lenses of the gospel, and you can't help but see Christ in the church. Can I show you Christ in the church? Let me tell you what the marital gospel is. At the cross, he proposed to you. When you received him and you repented, you became betrothed to him. When he comes back at his second coming... This marriage will be consummated. And we will be a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb, and that will be the reception. And in the end, 
and the beautiful marriage of Christ and his church, the father and the son and the groom would have created an everlasting honeymoon in heaven. This, I want you to know something about marriage. In a very real way, marriage tells the gospel story. Forgive me if I get a little offensive right now, but listen to, them, to this. The gospel is the real story of a perfect groom who came from the other side of the tracks to the wrong part of town, and he didn't do this to woo the beauty queen, but he came to propose to the slut. And in saying yes to his proposal, he made her beautiful. This is the story of Gomer and Hosea. And if you read the book of Hosea, God tells Hosea to marry a prostitute. Because it's symbolic of my love for my people. And a lot of us like the hashtag, I am David, I am Elijah, right? We like to be all the heroes in the Bible, but I am Gomer. I am the one that has rejected my master, my savior over and over and over again. But the beauty of the gospel is the beauty of marriage. I'm trying to remember why I was created. Or at least that's what I'd like you to think. Because amnesia sounds a lot better than just plain ignorance. Well, even ignorance is defined as a lack of knowledge. See, I'm just faking it. Pretending as if I don't know when really I do. I felt less than what my designer thought was best. So I suppressed who he supernaturally intended me to be. No lie, I got relaxed. And then I combined by weaving a little bit of his will with a whole lot of mine. So how do I look? Because I think I look good. And yes, I know it's not his original design, but I got time to change and to fix any minor things I may lack. It's not like he's coming back tomorrow. How long have we heard these are the last days? It's the same old song. I mean, is it just me? Or do these last days seem to be lasting kind of long? I know I'm not perfect. I've had so many I couldn't count my falls. Niagara. Instead of responding to his call, I'd rather schedule him. Viagra. Whatever is wrong, I know that he can heal. But I want the cattle on a thousand hills with the ability to still grab the wheel while grasping on in my own will like Jacob to Esau's heel. My love is based, and his love is based on how I feel. He loves me, he loves me not. It's like pulling petals off flowers. Yes, he's coming back, but no man knows the day or the hour. Where, Where have, have you been? been? I've been, been at the, the altar, altar waiting for you. To repent. What happened? You've lost, lost weight? Yes. I wanted to look good for you, so I haven't been eating my daily bread. Bread of heaven is who I am. Yet it's scary. I give you loaves of my word, and you're getting by on the crumbs of commentaries? You needed a... I needed a makeover. No one was attracted to me, so I had to dress up the gospel. Stayed silent, seen sin, saturate sanctuaries, shadowing sight with smoky eyes because you know you are love. No, I'm your cover, girl. 
I make up for your lacks and deficiencies. I am your very foundation. I blend with you perfectly. There's no need for concealer, for I am the revealer of all. Don't you recall when I tore your veil? So, you're saying you don't like my lashes, you don't like my nails? No, you don't understand. You don't understand. See, I took lashes for your lashes, and I took nails for your nails. But if I'm not gaining your heart, then I'm just losing time. Because more than I want you to be beautiful, I need you to be mine. Well, we're here now, so let's just get on with the ceremony. Knowing there will be no one in attendance, you never extended any invitations. Too excited about the reception and the gifts that you would get that you forgot about my presents. Presents, dollar dances. I take quarters, nickels, and dimes. The world can keep their dimes. Pieces of silver don't impress me. Don't forget what happened to Judas. You just failed to see that I've changed. I admit I grew distant. Lost sight of you, the absolute value. Missing the sign, so now with ignorance, at times I co-sign, unable to stay away from tangents. I thought I had the right angle. Look, I know your heart's been broken. But if you can keep your eyes on me, I can repair us. Then we will be one. No longer fractions being dominated by denominations. Yet I choose to stay divided like Palestinian nations. Yes, your fouls have been flagrant. But I'm positive that I'm the one for you. But we equal nothing if you continue to be the negative one in this equation. Can, can you, you sense, sense my, my frustration? frustration? You are holy. So I had to impose what is legalistic, making appeals for what you already acquitted. Obsessed with overruling your objections, purposely plucking purpose. Professing prosperity, practicing pride, prosecuting people persistently. And when you became the judge, you took away the saint's defense, silencing the miraculous testimony of my witness so that no one's ever convicted. And yet so many of my children are turned away from life because you condemned them with your death penalty sentence. Not all of them. Which reminds me about their entrance. In the Lamb's Book of Life, some names you may have skipped. So with attendance, I stamp their wrists so that they can get in. The VIP section, we don't address their sin, neither do we offend, and bouncers don't trip on those who abundantly give. Besides, all their praying grandmothers had a plus one on the list. Well, tell them they won't see me. Not by visiting you routinely. See, you are more than stained glass windows, pulpits, pews, and singers. If you really want to see my church, just look in the mirror. But you wanted me to be fine, righteous, perfect, and eloquent. And this land seemed desolate and needed development. I exceeded your budget, so I withdrew from Tyra's bank, continuing to remodel, staying culturally relevant. My girl Katrina, she called and said hurricanes and hard times came, and you didn't make yourself evident. But I told you that I would never leave thee nor forsake thee. I hear you, but I had immediate need. But you promised that you would wait, wait for, for me. And by the way, what happened to your ring? My ring. You don't remember the ring? When I called you out of darkness into marvelous things? You wear it in you, not on you. It was my spirit and my sign to remind you and your ex who you really belong to. For money to get back to who I thought was my first love. 
he spoke to me with words so sweet. He waves and I feel the sureness of my wrong decision shifting my view. He wanted me to see breeze so I could forget where the sun sets. Next, I was convinced I didn't need to repent for my sin because he told me he could wash me with the tide that was coming in. The weather was pleasant on the Atlantic surface, but as I got to his core, the temperature drastically changed. Yes, I contracted an STD. He burned me at about 9,800 degrees. He was my earth. He was my world. And I'm sorry to tell you that there's more. Did you think that I wouldn't notice? The symptoms, the signs, your unexplainable cravings for sin of all kinds. You even had trouble sleeping. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy didn't come in the morning sickness. So in my shame in my morning, you witnessed me take the pill for the morning after. Coincidentally located next to my box of alabaster. I was too shameful to bring forth alabaster. Stirred lies of wicked men's tongues started deceiving you. And automatically planted the seeds of deceit in you. And once you were pregnant with falsehood, it became impossible to conceive the truth. The truth made me free, but I ran back to what I was comfortable with. Being enslaved and my depraved. I'm sure you don't want me now. I'm not worth the price you paid. They flogged me with whips that left my flesh stripped. They beat me with their instruments rhythmically, which caused my skin to bleed symphonies. And I can still hear the hooks like a chorus. And those weren't 66 letters, they were musical scores that contained every note to keep our hearts on one accord. And for you to always have the keys to all of my heart's doors. I just wanted a sample, but I repeat sin like Lupin eight bars. And on my own temple, I began to embark. Instead of following your instrumentation, I drown out your heartbeat of timpani and your strings of harmonies. Ignore the woodwinds of your spirit. If your trumpet sounds, I wouldn't hear it, or even the brass ring. Because I've laid tracks upon tracks on acapella so I could hear myself sing. Majoring in minor has left me scratched like broken records, causing my life to, causing my life to, causing my life to stutter. I'm a false instructor, pretending as if I'm watching the conductor. I'm too unlawful to be your wedded wife, and I'll probably never recover. My will was put to the test when I had to choose whether to escape in glory or escape glory, bearing torment on my flesh. You were the reason that I clung to that rugged cross like my child who was long lost, Mary. My own mother couldn't recognize the disfigured face of her son. Me is what I gave you on Calvary when I said that it was done. I told you that I loved you. How much will I showed you? You see, you called it crucifixion. I called it proposal. Will you marry me? You don't need a third party. You have direct access to me. 
We don't ever have to worry about remembering our anniversary because I've yet to find a calendar with a date for eternity. I need your grace, grace and, and mercy. mercy is what I lavish upon. There's a recession of my presence, so I supply the missing piece that your heart demands, and then some. Some cry over spilled milk, I weep over spilled blood. blood that could not be measured in pints to count my, my love. My love was contingent on what was instant. I and knew no, I, had I had to come to, come to repentance. Father, Father forgive them, me, for they know not what they do. I'll get myself together, I'll clean myself up. Please, allow me. I'm the only one who can make you clean without spot, without, without wrinkle, wrinkle, and without, without blemish. Clean. Your bridesmaid's goodness and mercy will follow you. It is already finished. It is you that I chose, even though I called many. And I am coming back for you. Will, will you, you be ready, ready or not? not? Revelation 19, I want to read this to you. Revelation 19 says this, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again, they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 